you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to be continuing our series that we started last week uh, in Galatians called Freedom. And the idea, when you, when you read the book of Galatians, Galatians really unpacks that truth. It unpacks the reality of freedom in Christ, what Christ offers, the, the truth of Jesus' death on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and how it offers us freedom. It offers us life. And if you remember last week, we looked at what Paul called the gospel, and he said there's no other gospel that can be preached. He said, I'm astonished that what's happening is the church at Galatia is abandoning or deserting uh, the truth of the gospel, and literally what it says is they are, are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and they're turning to a gospel that is really no gospel at all, is what Peter, or sorry, excuse me, what Paul says. What, he, what he's combating, and I want to remind you of this, what Paul is combating is false teaching that had, had, had really gained access into the church through people who were trying to add Jewish Mosaic laws or the, the following of the law into the gospel. In other words, they were saying, hey, Jesus' death isn't enough. You still have to be circumcised. You still have to be a person who follows the law in order to be saved. And Paul comes down and says, whoa, 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 hold on. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so now we're picking up in verse 11, and we're going to read on through verse 24. And listen to what he says. This is Paul writing to the church at Galatia, which was churches scattered in northern, they were just north of Israel, Syria and things like that, modern day Syria, uh, and even to the north into Turkey and stuff like that. Listen to what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. In other words, man did not come up with this idea. It's not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my what? Father's. He's saying, look, this is, this is where I'm at. I, I, was, I was a good Jew. As a matter of fact, I was a, I was a really good Jew. And he says, I was advancing a, a, above and beyond many of my own age. And I was zealous. I was zealous for the law. I was zealous for the traditions of Jewish belief. But listen to verse 15. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him, among the Gentiles, he says, I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and I, to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. 
Authority and truth are on trial here in Galatians. And what I want you to begin to understand is they are central issues here that we're going to look at today. Two very different messages are really vying for our hearts or the heart of of each individual here. One is Paul's gospel, which is really the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the other is the message of religious people, people who say there's more than one way. There are things you have to do. There are things you have to add on to the gospel in order to become accepted. And the reality is only one one can be true. Both can't be true. Only one can be true because they contradict each other. If Jesus says, I am the only way, and we add something to that, does that not contradict what Jesus says? That's the very gospel in and of itself. And so what we have to begin to understand is anything added to the gospel is not necessary. The gospel is in and of itself sufficient because the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That is the promise and the hope. And so the question today would be this, where do you get your information from? How do you know it's reliable or consistent with truth? Or how do you know if it's false? In today's world of journalism, you can't always trust what you read or even what's reported on TV, can you? I mean, all you got to do is look at the story of Brian Williams. Nowhere is it more evident than what we saw when Brian Williams accounted the tale of being struck by an enemy rocket-propelled grenade while he was in a helicopter during the initial Iraq invasion in 2003. And I even pulled this, and it says last week, now this is, this is an article I pulled from, but it says that last week, crew members from the 159th Aviation Regiment Chinook that were hit by the RPG finally told Stars and Stripes newspaper that Williams was nowhere near the helicopter shot down. Truth matters, and where we get our information matters as well, does it not? That's the reality. Everywhere you turn in your personal life, media, People are expressing opinions and beliefs. People you work with are expressing opinions and beliefs. Everyone has opinions about, listen, morals, marriage, sexuality, war, love, peace, gospel, truth, religion. Everybody has opinions, right? Matter of fact, there's a lot of people, younger people, who think if I find the information online, it's got to be true. And if you've ever seen the commercial, if you believe that, then you, you might have a French model waiting at your door uh, later. <laughs> you ever seen that commercial? I think it's an Allstate commercial. I can't remember. The lady walks up and she's like, yeah, yeah, I read it. You know, everything's true on the internet. She's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to date a French model. And this guy walks up and you're obviously not a French model. And she says, oh, here's my French model now. And the guy walks up and goes, bonjour. <laughs> All right. The reality is you can't believe everything that you come to. And here's what I want you to begin to understand in this section of scripture. Paul was being attacked by the Judaizers. Basically, Paul goes into these areas. He plants these churches in Galatia. And as he plants these churches, he preaches the gospel. He tells them the truth of the gospel. But people outside say, hey, you got to add to it. You got to make sure you're still obedient to the law. You got to make sure that you're following and being circumcised. And these people begin to infiltrate the church and they start to add this thing to it. And Paul says, you guys are abandoning the gospel, which is really no gospel at all. You're moving on. And then Paul gets to this point and he's trying to show, I want you to see this. Paul is trying to show the authority he receives or how he received the message. And so he's laying out 
the truth behind or where he received the message from. See, where do you get your information from matters. Do you live by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you filled with wisdom from Jesus or are you filled from the wisdom from the world? Are you looking for answers on the smorgasbord or the buffet line of religiosity? You know, we can look throughout culture, we can look through everything that goes on, and you can see people who want to mix and match and take what they got, but the fact of the matter remains that if Jesus' words are true, and if Jesus' death on the cross was real, then Jesus is the only thing that matters at that point, because if Jesus doesn't matter, then why have Jesus die? Jesus never needed to die if it was about a religious movement, about things that you could do. There was no necessity for Jesus' death. And so Paul begins to lay this out. In this section today that we're looking at, Paul shows how he received the gospel and why or where he received it from. And so here's the main idea today. If you remember anything, I don't care if you remember the four points. I don't care about any of that. I want you to remember this. We, Christians, must be the kind of people who rely upon build our lives upon, and live by the truth of the gospel. That is the reality what the Bible says. That's what Paul is laying out. Paul begins to unpack this and show why we can rely upon the gospel, why we can build our lives upon it, and how we can live by the truth of the gospel. So the question today is this. If that's the way we're supposed to be, what does the gospel do in people's Lives. What does the truth of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, do in people's lives? Because the reality is Paul is telling a story to show his authority, to stand on the truth, to say where he got it from. And then Paul is trying to also say, hey, look, remember me? You remember who I was? And let me tell you where I got the gospel. So here is the main four things we're going to focus on. What does the gospel do in people's lives? Number one, the gospel is the measuring stick by which we test everything. Listen to what he says in verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that this gospel I preached is not something that man made up. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something man made up. And what Paul's trying to say is, hey, Jews, it's great that you have those traditions. It's great that you have those things. But I want you to understand that you can't add to the gospel. You cannot continue to add things on and tack things on and say this is a necessity in order to be saved. Paul is saying, listen, here is the reality. To live the truth of the gospel out, that's what you have to do. It's not something man made up. And then I love what he says in verse 12. I did not receive it from any man. Who does Paul receive it from? Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, right? Acts chapter 9, when Paul is converted on the road to Damascus, Paul receives the gospel at that point. And you remember he's blinded and he goes into Damascus and and, uh, Ananias is supposed to go and he removes the scales. And then Paul goes out into the wilderness for a while. And then uh, we see that Paul is back in Damascus and he's back in Damascus. He's told to go preach the gospel and he has to be lowered outside. Remember outside the city walls so he could get away? And then he would go to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, if you're reading along, when he goes to Jerusalem at that point, he's going to Jerusalem to combat or to stand up against Peter 
Acts chapter 15, we kind of talked about last week. So Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 15 is basically where the letter of Galatians takes place. All right, the letter to the church at Galatia takes place in that. The gospel is the very measuring stick by which we test everything. And what I want you to see is this. The gospel that Paul preaches, the gospel he says I preached, is not something that man came up with some creative idea to go, hey, we got a great idea. Let's, let's make Jesus this saint. Let's make Jesus this figure who dies on the cross is something that's from God. And he says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. See, the gospel comes not from man. It was no human invention. And the the reality is some believe Paul was a very brilliant man. Matter of fact, if you look and you start to read through Acts, you'll realize real quick that Paul was a very brilliant man. Paul was well-versed in the Mosaic law, which is what he kind of covers in 12 and 13. He knew. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. So he knows the law, but if you read Acts chapter 17, Paul also knew Greek philosophy. And he uses the very same Greek philosophy of all the people who said, hey, there's multiple gods and multiple ways. And he uses the Greek philosophy to communicate the truth of the gospel to those people that he comes into contact with in Athens. And so Paul is a very well-versed, well-rehearsed. He's studied. He knows what's going on. And the gospel that Paul preached is something that Jesus Christ gave him. So Paul is trying to lay this out. And so what do we do? The gospel should be the measuring stick by which we test everything. Why? Because it's not a man-made, man-created, mythological idea. It stands on the truth of the fact that God gave it to Paul. God showed it to Paul. And here's the great news about it. One of the reasons Paul is laying this out is because, remember, the disciples who followed Jesus went off into hiding, right? And they go off into hiding, and then Jesus commissions them. He says, hey, go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You remember that part, right? All right? But here's what Paul wants to say. Hey, look, I didn't receive it from the disciples. As a matter of fact, I tried to kill those guys, if you remember, I tried to destroy him. I wanted to take the church out. And so Paul lays out this idea that it has to be the very measuring stick by which we test everything. Paul proves, I believe this wholeheartedly, Paul proves that this direct revelation from God through history changes his life story. And here's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this. God wants to change your life story through Jesus Christ. God wants to change the, the direction of your life. God wants to change the purpose of your life. God wants to change you into a new being. He wants to make you a new being through the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what it is. And so everything we do should be tested based upon that. So Christians, do you test everything based upon the gospel? Do you make decisions that would be gospel-centered decisions? Or do you make decisions that are just like, well, you know what? The positives outweigh the negatives. Because I'll be honest with you, a lot of times we go down that road. You know, I remember being taught, and my parents would tell you this to this day, and I still do this on a lot of things. What are the positives of the decision? What are the negatives? Right? You ever do this? Anybody do this? Who wants to admit it? Yeah, we got a couple. It's like, oh, okay. All right? We, we list the positives, and we list the negatives, and if the positives make more sense, we're like, what? Oh. Let's do that. 
The decisions you make, are they based upon the truth of the gospel or are they based upon, well, it just makes sense? And I'm not saying it can't go both ways. But I want you to understand when we look at Paul's life, Paul made decisions that didn't make sense. Paul came to conclusions and said, hey, I know I'm going to be persecuted, but I'm supposed to go there. And everybody in the church went, who in their right mind would know that they're going to get persecuted and go, I'm going to go anyways? Because the reality is, most people in the church today, if you said, hey, you're going to go somewhere and you're going to preach the gospel and you're going to be persecuted and you're going to lose your life, most people would go, nah, I'm good. Paul measures everything by the gospel. So we must be the kind of people who rely upon build our lives upon and live by the truth of the gospel. Number two, what does the gospel do in people's lives? The gospel, listen, the gospel speaks to impossible people. See, we can stand up here and come up with all kinds of new fandangled ways. We can think about a new way to share Christ. We can work on technology and videos and we can do everything else. But the fact of the matter remains that it's the only the gospel that can change somebody's heart. It's only the truth of Jesus Christ. Only God can change a person's heart. I can't, you can't, we can't. The gospel is what changes people's lives and that is what the gospel does. Listen, the gospel speaks to impossible people. Look at verse 13 and 14. Paul says, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. In other words, I knew the law. I knew it inside and out. Matter of fact, I probably knew it better than you. And then he says at that point, why? Jesus was an offense to the law is what they considered him. And so he says, Listen, how intensely I persecuted the church of God. If you go back and read Acts, Paul was going house to house. You know, I think about, oftentimes I think house to house. I think of, of, of movies I've watched. I think of things that you saw on the news about Marines going house to house in Iraq, trying to clear out insurgents and things like that. You think about that. Paul was going house to house trying to find Christians. Arrest them. And even to the point of thinking about Stephen, putting them to what? Death. So Paul says, look, this gospel I received, I didn't receive it from man. It wasn't passed down by man. It wasn't created by man. As a matter of fact, I want you to remember my life. My life was a complete wreck. I had every desire to destroy the truth of the gospel. I had every desire to walk against and walk all over Jesus Christ and the church. That's literally what he says. And then verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. The gospel speaks to impossible people. And what, what Paul is laying out here is that Jesus can change the people that you look at with the hardest heart and you say there's no hope. And Jesus can do what you can't do. The truth of the gospel remains that. Jesus does what seems impossible to man and he makes it possible. That's the reality that we see with Paul. Paul's saying, look, if all the people in the world that Jesus would make himself known to, he makes himself known to me. And so, listen, God can do it to the most impossible people, the people you think that there's just... No hope, there's no chance, there's no possibility. And God says, why do you look so small? Why do you dream so small? Why do you pray so small? 
You know, with man, it may seem impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, Paul's life in Judaism led him to persecute the church. Paul's life in Judaism led him to destroy people and try and kill people. Paul was advanced in knowledge of Judaism. He's dragged people off to prison. And a man in his state, listen, a man in his state is in no mood to have his mind changed by men. You ever have a conversation with somebody who's so anti-Christian? No matter how, you know, I we say this over and over. I've never seen a person come to Christ by losing a debate. I've never seen a person come to Christ by taking part in a debate. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, can change a man's heart first and foremost. And then that changes the plan or purpose of that individual. That's the reality that Paul is trying to get across to us If we're to be people that live by the gospel, we have to rely upon it. We have to build our lives on it. We have to live the truth of the gospel day in and day out. And what Paul says is this. I love the traditions of the ways of Judaism, but because of a higher calling, I have not placed my faith and trust in the law, but in the saving power of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the reality of freedom. Paul says, I put my faith and trust in Christ, not in manly works. I put my faith and trust in Christ. Why? Because Jesus pays the ultimate price, not man. Man's religious mentality, religious pursuits are things that man oftentimes builds up. And Paul says, that's not the main thing. I put my faith and trust in the saving power and grace of Jesus Christ. So the gospel speaks to impossible people. But I want you to also see this. The gospel changes impossible people. Look at verses 15 and 16. I love this. The first little bit is focused on, look at this, verses 11 through 14 are really focused on Paul. Where he received the message, how he received the message, then where he was at, how he was living as a result of it. But then look at verse 15. What's he say? But, what? But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So the reality is this, the gospel changes impossible people because listen to what happens. When God got a hold of Paul, He set him apart. He called him by his grace and he was pleased to reveal the son in him. So see what what God does? It shows that God was calling him from the beginning. Now listen to what he says. But when God who set me apart from birth called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's the reality of what he wants to do in each and every believer's life. He has set you apart I hope you understand that. With Jesus' death on the cross, set you apart. It's the idea of holiness, righteousness. He's set you apart. You are different. You are complete in Christ. You are no longer uh, unrighteous, but you are made righteous in Christ. The power of God is what reaches people. And what he wants us to see is this. He was set apart. He was called by the grace. And he was pleased to reveal the Son of me. So listen. Every believer in Christ should be praying this every day. God, reveal your son in me. That my life 
would be something that reflects the glory and the honor and the grace of Jesus Christ day in and day out. That's the reality of the gospel that Paul is saying. And if your life doesn't reflect that, what Paul's saying is maybe you filled your life up with too much religiosity and not enough Jesus. I can't, I, can't, I can't stand on the statistic. I've heard it used multiple, multiple times. Billy Graham says over and over and over again, I've heard this, that he says he believes, this is his statement, between 70 and 80% of all people who attend church on a typical Sunday, attend church, faithful attenders of church. And I don't have any proof of this, but he says, 70 to 80% of all people or typical people who attend church on Sunday, he says, I don't know they're going to go to heaven. Because the reality is oftentimes we've made it about religious steps. And our life doesn't reflect the change that Jesus has changed our heart. Our life reflects, I'm following the man-made traditions that maybe are okay. They're good. But is Jesus your life? The gospel changes people. And if there's not a change, then you have to ask yourself, do I realize or do I know the God that communicated the gospel or am I more built on man-made religion? If there's no change, now it doesn't mean you're not gonna sin, all right? Let me be very clear. A lot of people think, hey, I'm a Christian now, never gonna sin. Not talking about that. But is there a desire to be obedient to him? Is there a desire to walk in obedience to what God has called you to do? Is there a desire to see him honored and glorified in my life daily? Is there a desire that my family would walk in the faith and the trust and obedience to Jesus Christ? Am I raising my kids to understand who Jesus is? It's more than just attending church, but it's a a relationship with Christ. And what Paul is trying to do is to show you in the past was my life, but listen, here's what happens. God called me. God changed me. When God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me, everything changes. That's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to be who you once were. Jesus changes you. You don't have to dwell on the past. You know, I say it over and over and over again. But when I, when I went to my, I, if you could see the looks on the people's face when I went to my 20-year high school reunion. And you could ask my wife every time I tell you this. So what do you do? I'm a pastor. What? And then the first question, they look at my wife. You know what he was like in high school? Yeah, I heard the stories. And we laugh about it, but that's the reality. The gospel changes people's hearts. The gospel changes somebody from the inside out. Remember, we've said over and over and over again, we try and change behavior of people without changing the heart. When Jesus says, if you change the heart, the behavior changes. The gospel, when it penetrates the culture, when the gospel, when Jesus penetrates the culture and it's involved in the culture and you stand on the truth of that and you lovingly serve people in the name of Jesus, guess what happens? Jesus changes the hearts of the people and you don't have to go, well, we're trying to change our culture. You let Jesus change the culture. When the church, the people of God, take the gospel out to work, 
to the ball fields, to the extracurricular activities, whatever it is you're involved in, then Jesus can change people. Why? Because the gospel changes people and the gospel is the good news of, about Jesus. And this is what I love. God desires to reveal, listen, his son in you and, listen, to help you preach him among your neighbors and the nations. Listen to what he says. When he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And here's the great news. The Gentiles are a part of people that were never or weren't targeted at that time. Paul says, I'm going to go reach the Gentiles because God has called me to reach the Gentiles. I would guarantee you that 98% of the people you interact with are not Jewish. They're not Israel, Israelis. So guess what they are? Gentiles. And when Jesus is revealed in you, guess what he wants to use you for? To reach those people. When God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the nations. You know our, our, our mission statement. Life in Christ to our neighbors and the nations. And the reality of living that out is that God desires to reveal his son in you daily so that you can preach him among the neighbors and the nations. Now, some of you automatically think preach means I got to stand up here. That's not the truth. Preaching just means proclamation. To communicate the message. To stand on the truth. And to lovingly display the love of Christ to those who are outside. So we must be the kind of people who rely upon, build our lives upon, and live by the truth of the gospel. So what does the gospel do in people's lives? We said, number one, the gospel is the measuring stick by which we test everything. Number two, the gospel speaks to impossible three, uh, or to impossible people. Number three, the gospel changes impossible people. And number four, I believe this, that the gospel must lead us into action. Listen to what Paul does in verses uh, 17 and following. He said, I did not go up to Jerusalem, to those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Listen, after three years is when he finally meets the disciples. If that doesn't speak volumes to say he didn't receive the message from man or from men, but he got it from God, I don't know what will. Because what Paul's trying to say is, look, I didn't receive this from the disciples. Matter of fact, I didn't even go to the disciples till after three years. So he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, and I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Listen, they say, we have, we have no clue about this guy. Other than they had heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Number four, the gospel leads us into action. And here's what takes place in between verses 16 and verse 18. Basically, Paul goes out into a desert place. That's what he's talking about when he goes into Arabia. He goes out to a desert place before going out on the mission. And in that desert place, Paul doesn't confer with men. He confers with God. He is built up by God. See, Paul's time in the desert is the time he went out into quiet. He went out into solitude in order, listen, to hear 
the Spirit of the Lord speak to him and to be led by the Spirit. And the question is this. Have you ever gone through that desert experience? Maybe sometimes you just need to go through that desert experience on a daily basis where you're in quiet and solitude. Every, you can go through the Bible, almost every biblical leader went through a desert time. Whether it was Noah, it was Abraham, there's Moses, there's David. They all went through times where they felt outcast, abandoned, abused, mistreated, begin to start to question God. And what's funny is in the desert times is when often God does his greatest work. In the times where you feel dry, you feel parched, you feel beat down, you feel discouraged, the desert is when God does the building and the pruning. See, that's the idea. When you go out in the desert, God builds up what you need and he cuts away what you don't. He removes all the junk. He gets rid of everything you don't need so that you rely more and more and more upon his grace, upon his mercy, upon his provision, upon his direction and purpose for your life. And so oftentimes, when the desert comes, what do we like to do? When the desert comes, we like to go back where there's civility, right? We want to go back where there's water, where there's provisions, where there's everything's met. All my needs are met. All my desires are met. And what ends up happening is oftentimes we don't go through the pruning process. And so Paul goes into this area and he says, he went out into Arabia and then later returned to Damascus. See, Paul goes through the desert place before going out on his mission. Why? Because he's preparing him. Before Jesus went to ministry, what happened? Matthew chapter four. Jesus was led out into the desert and he was what? Tempted, tried. Jesus is getting ready to go on his own ministry, the very ministry that he's going to fulfill what God had created him for, what God had brought Jesus down to earth for. He's going to fulfill. That's the death, burial, and resurrection. But Jesus, before that, goes out into the desert and he's tempted and he tried. But in the midst of that, he's strengthened. He's emboldened. He's encouraged. He understands God's will. He lives on the truth of God's word and he uses that truth of God's word to live by. See, often when we go through the desert, we, listen, we as believers, oftentimes when we go through the desert, you know what we do? We withdraw. When time gets tough, the first thing that usually goes is church. And I'm not talking legalistic church attendance. I'm talking about being a part of the body. See, there's a, there's a big difference between being a part of a body and just coming to church. You can just come to church all you want. That doesn't mean you're part of the body. Being a part of the body, it requires relationships. It would be completely foreign to the New Testament believers to be a part of a church, part of a church by just merely attending. Because in the past, what they said was, the church is a body. And a body has to function in relationships. Relationships are vital within the church. And so when you struggle, you can go to people. And I think the biggest struggle that we faced is that we had to act. Listen, we had to act 
like we had our life together because if people really knew it, we wouldn't be accepted in the church. The very place that we should be accepting of everything that goes on. The very place that should say, you struggle with addictions, you struggle with problems, you struggle with finances. Hey, come here. Let us wrap our arms around you and let us help each other out. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Let us teach you. Let us disciple you. Let us make true believers out of you. Instead, what we do, we got the fake face. Everything's good. And the reality is, for a lot, of t- a lot of people, a lot of times it wasn't. Relationships is the key thing. And so the gospel leads us into action. See, Paul spent those three years in a stage of life that preps him. Listen, that preps him for going to Damascus and then on to Jerusalem. And think about this. Paul, been a believer for less than or right around three years, stands up to the great Peter. And says, Peter, you're out of line. Peter, you're adding something to the gospel. Peter, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're adding law into it. And the law, remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. He fulfills what you and I can't fulfill. And what I'm afraid oftentimes is that within the church, we've set up this law-based mentality that says, hey, you got to do the law. If you don't do the law, you're not a true believer. When the reality is, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ fulfills the law for you because you can't do it. The law just reveals your sin. And that's the great thing. I love this about Galatians. Galatians is going to show this over and over and over again. The law reveals your sin. It reveals the truth that you need a savior. You need somebody that's going to pay that price and Jesus already did it. So the law what you can't do that reveals your wickedness, your evilness, your sin, the law that you can't live up to, Jesus did for you. And so what Paul is saying is this, I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that was not passed down by man, nor was it to given to be my man or created by man. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He rose again. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he stands at the right hand of God the Father. And Paul stands on that gospel and says, there's no other gospel. Anything you add to it is just a guilty burden put on by the traditions of man, not what Christ requires. So we live by the truth of the gospel and we measure everything by the truth of the gospel because this is the truth. God is in the business of making people who are violently and adamantly against him and his work. God is in the midst of making those people and letting those people see. God speaks to us, reaches us, and leads us into action. And the truth is, the truth of the gospel is what leads to a changed heart. And a changed heart leads to changed behavior. And Paul's heart was changed. As a result, Paul's behavior was changed. And his behavior was changed because the reality was the truth of the gospel got a hold of Paul. Not legalistic, moralistic religiosity. And as a result, Paul goes to the nations and Paul takes the gospel to his death because he stood for the truth of who Christ was. So Christian, I just want to ask you today, are you willing to commit to that? 
Is that something you live your life by? Do you test or measure everything by the gospel? Do you, I'll be honest, do you, do you, do you pray? Do you ask God to speak to the impossible people? Do you ask God to, to, to change the impossible people? Or do you just have the attitude like, I mean, it's easy to have. No, that guy's never going to change. Just the way he is. And then do you allow the gospel to lead you into action? True freedom. Here's the thing about it. I think sometimes we, we get to this point. True freedom. The freedom that, that, that Jesus provides and offers is freedom that sometimes we just don't experience because we're trapped and enslaved by doing things. Do you get that? We're trapped and enslaved by doing things or, or in, in doing things. We, we try hard. It's like if I do more, that, that, that Jesus is going to be more proud of me. That if I work harder, that Jesus is going to be more proud of me. That if I, if I just dig in and suck it up, that Jesus is going to be more proud of me. And here's the reality. Jesus, I, I hope you hear this out. Jesus is proud of you when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Why? Because Jesus can stand and say, you're now my brother. You are adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are in the same family. And I think sometimes that we've been so misled that God is more proud of me when I do good things. But God is proud of you when you accept Christ. God rejoices when you accept the gift that he offers. And the things we do, here's, here's the kicker, the things we do are a result of Christ changing my heart, not a result of guilt, tradition, or whatever else we want to add. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, today we thank you for the fact that you died on the cross, paying the price for man's sins, fulfilling the law, what we couldn't fulfill ourselves, but you rose again. You promise us life and life more abundantly. You promise us freedom and that freedom comes in you. You give us grace and mercy if we call out to you. And so God, today I pray that just in the midst of this time that we would Maybe just acknowledge things that we've allowed to creep in that we've said, well, you've got to add this, this little thing. You've got you've to do it. But God, we realize that it's only by your grace and your mercy. The grace that you so freely give that we do not deserve. That we can come into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And God, today I pray that we would be people who live our lives based upon the gospel. We would rely on, we would build our lives on, and we would live the truth of the gospel day in and day out. The good news of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the Messiah that would save the people from their sins. And today we pray that you are honored and glorified. 